Holy God, may your word which goes forth from your mouth not return to you empty. May it accomplish what you desire and succeed in the matter for which you have sent it, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Question, what would you rather do? Would you rather hear someone give a speech or would you rather read the transcript of the speech? How many of you, raise your hand, if you'd rather hear the speech being given? How many would rather read the transcript? Okay, a few of you. Amazing, okay. Well, why? Most of us would rather hear the speech. Why? Why do you think that's so? It's because oral communication is more effective than written. Oral communication involves not only words, it involves gestures, change in tone, movement, things of that nature. It's easier to keep someone interested by speaking than it is by asking them to read something. Generally, that's the case. The written word is more precise, but spoken words have a more powerful effect. Spoken words can move you in a way that written words generally do not. Now, the written word of God is very important, but only as it guides you into deeper conversation with others so that you experience the word that is spoken. Roman numeral number one in your outline, inside of your bulletin, the spoken word communicates far more than the written. The spoken word communicates far more than the written. Letter A, the spoken word is the original and the essential form of the gospel. I cite Mark chapter one, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, the gospel is first and foremost spoken because God is one who speaks. We don't see him. We can't bear that sight, this side of heaven. So he speaks. And it's interesting that the New Testament contains no description of the earthly Jesus, what he looked like. It's not considered important. You see, seeing is reserved for the life to come. St. Paul writes in this way, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Today, this side of heaven, God comes to us not through the eye, but through the ear. And so our text from Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people. Notice the word comfort's repeated. We'll come back to that. Says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Question, how does the pardon arrive? How does it come? 
is through a voice, a spoken word, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is not double punishment, it's double comfort. The context here is good news, right? That's why the word comfort is repeated again. It's given twice. Double comfort. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Do you know why interstate highways are always laid out in a straight line? It's always a straight line. Because that's the shortest distance between two points. It's always a straight line. You see, God is shortening the distance between himself and his people. That's the point here. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Have you noticed? Interstate highways don't go up hills and down hills again. They go through them. Because the shortest distance between two points is not up and down, it's through. God's shortening the distance between us. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Now there's some seeing going on, but it's the seeing of the cross. We don't, this side of heaven, behold God in his unveiled glory. That's deadly to us. So we see him veiled in the shame, the humiliation, the death in our place, which takes place at the cross. That's how we see God today. That's the glory of the Lord in John's gospel. It's the crucifixion of Jesus for sinful humanity. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice, here's the voice again. The voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Now, what follows? Question. Is it law or is it gospel? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. Is that law or gospel? It's law, right? It's, it's God's judgment against sin. It's the consequences of sin, right? You know, law is not just telling you what to do and not do. It's also the consequences that go with not doing it. This is law. But look at the next phrase. But the word of our God will stand forever. Is that law or gospel? In this context, it's gospel. Why? Because this is primarily a word of comfort. The law of God, as righteous and holy as it is, is not an end in itself. It's a means to a greater end. That greater end is the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, absolution, mercy. That's the end. You see, the law serves the gospel. It, it, it awakens your conscience so that you see your need for the Savior. That's its purpose. And so that word, which will stand forever, is a word of forgiveness. It is a word of mercy, a word of restoration. That's the context of this passage. Comfort, comfort my people. Letter B, comfort, forgiveness, and cessation of conflict come to you through a voice, through a voice, which is the public preaching of the word. 
And I cite Romans chapter 10 here. How then will like, they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how will someone preach to them unless someone is sent? So, Paul concludes, faith comes from not seeing, but hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. That word of forgiveness. My friends, spiritual growth, spiritual maturation takes place through the ear. Through the ear. That is to say, a Lutheran sermon is not a lecture. Gospel preaching is not information about Jesus. Gospel preaching is when we do Jesus to you. When we preach, we pour Christ and his mercy into your ears, just as in the Lord's Supper, we pour Christ into your mouth. Preaching is not a set of instructions on how to get salvation. Preaching flat out gives the salvation to you. It's not to say that everybody's out there receiving it. Without faith, you're not receiving it, but we give it out here. The preaching of the law will put you to death. The preaching of the gospel raises you to a new life. In the divine service, Jesus serves us with his gifts. We don't just talk about forgiveness, we give forgiveness through the absolution, through the sermon, through the Lord's Supper. And note this, you cannot forgive yourself. You are forgiven through the words that someone speaks to you. That's how forgiveness is delivered. Now, if you're like me, you're asking a question at this point. You're wondering, well, Pastor, can't I sit in my corner and read the Bible and confess my sins to God and receive forgiveness? And I'll say yes. But how do you know that God forgives you? How do you know that God is a forgiving God after all? It's only through his word. And that word is first and foremost a spoken word. In Mainz, Germany, there is the Gutenberg Museum and it commemorates the European invention. I mean, movable type was invented, I've read in China long before, but um, movable metal type in Europe was invented by Johannes Gutenberg in the 15th century, nearly 600 years ago. And this museum in Mainz, Germany commemorates that. And the printed word was a massive technological revolution. It made books inexpensive and widely available, and that was good. But there was a downside to it as well. We moved from being a speaking culture to a more written culture. We've become less dependent on the ear and more dependent on the eye and, and the written word. Now, now, I'm thankful for the written word of God. But you may not use the written word of God as an excuse to ignore the proclaimed or the preached word of God. Someone said to me recently, you know, well, I, I can't come to worship. I, I, I'm not coming to worship, but I've got, I've got my Bible. I've got my Bible. Well, that's good. I'm glad you have your Bible. The Bible is a necessary record of what God has said. But the written word of God should always lead you into fellowship with and discussion with others who will speak the word to you. The written word always points you to the spoken. 
to the assembly. The spoken word is a living and active word. It does things. As God said in Isaiah 55, my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire. It will succeed in the matter for which I have sent it. In fact, the Bible was written for the very purpose of reading scripture aloud in the public worship of the church. That's why it was written down. The Bible was written so that it might be spoken. It gives us the guide we need so we can speak the Word of God accurately. That's why it's written. There's a website, BibleGateway.com. If you've not been there, I encourage you to go. You, you can sit there and pull up any Bible text, any chapter, and read it silently. But you can also press a button and have it read to you. And I enjoy that. I enjoy having it read to me. It goes into the ear and into the heart. Roman numeral two, the spoken word creates good works. The spoken word creates good works. Uh, I cite Acts chapter two, uh, the, the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the spoken word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. See, they're gathering together to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And then we read, that they had all things in common. It's not communism. They retained ownership, but they didn't view their property as theirs exclusively. They viewed it as a community thing. So that when someone had a need, you know, they, they didn't have banks, they had property. They, somebody would voluntarily sell a part of their property and help the individual in need, you see. The, the, the proclaimed word stimulates giving good works. Letter A, the key to giving is receiving. For in receiving we learn how to give. We can't give what we haven't first received. And, and in, re, in the act of receiving, we're learning something ourselves about how to give to others. I cite Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus, you know the story, we've read it. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I, I'm going to stay with you. This is an honor. This is an elevation. This is an absolution. It's forgiveness. And it transforms the man. Half of what I possess, I give to the poor right now. And I'll pay back fourfold whatever I've cheated someone out of. That's a changed life. Now, if you're like me, you know that it's hard to receive. It's not something that a prideful individual does easily. It's hard to receive. And I think part of the reason, it's not just pride, it's also control. I think all of us want to be in control. And when someone gives to us, especially give to us in a way that we do not deserve and cannot earn, we, we realize we are not in control. Someone else is. And receiving humbles us appropriately. It humbles us. It, it reminds us that all good gifts come from above. And a man can receive nothing unless it's first given from above. Letter B, stewardship is learning to receive as well as to give. 
stewardship is learning to receive as well as to give. For when you receive with gratitude, you encourage those who give. Giving and receiving are two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the very same event. For someone to give, there has to be someone else willing to receive. And to receive in the proper way, with gratitude. And when the person receiving something is changed by the gift, when they're grateful, or, or when they resolve to manage their money in, in a more appropriate way after receiving the gift they've been given, then the giver is encouraged to continue giving. Too often when we receive a gift, we don't demonstrate the proper gratitude. We don't demonstrate any change in our behavior as a result of the gift. We might even assume that we are entitled to the gift. And entitlement robs us of gratitude and it discourages others from giving. And I say this to, to remind you, stewardship is not just giving, it's about receiving in the right way. All of us have a responsibility toward those who give. We need to receive with thanksgiving, with gratitude, whatever they give to us. If we don't, we are discouraging their giving and we need to repent of our ungratefulness. I want to close with this thought. Question. Who are the most generous people in America today? What group? Christians. Yeah. What? Not just Christians. There's all kinds of Christians, okay? People who attend worship on a regular basis, people who attend religious services regularly give far and above more to charity than people who attend irregularly or don't attend at all. That's a fact. And study after study bears that out. We adopt more children. We go to places around the world the government won't to help people in need. We give more per capita. People who attend regularly give more per capita than Christians who don't attend regularly, let alone secular. In fact, we give more to secular charity than secular people do. That's who we are. Now, don't pat yourself on the back too much because the giving among regular attendees has dropped in recent years. Now, I'm not proud of that. I think most, if not all of us, could do better. But I have my own theory as to why we give more than others. I think that those of us who attend worship on a regular basis might actually be hearing something. Hopefully, it's the Word of God that we're hearing. It's a word that, when spoken, does things. It's an event. When the law of God is spoken to you, it convicts of sin, it creates in your heart a godly sorrow reading, leading to repentance. On the other hand, when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed to you, it absolves you of your sin, it fills you with his Holy Spirit, and it moves you to live and to do things for others that you would not otherwise do. Now that is stewardship. It's the stewardship of time, treasure, and talent all wrapped up. And that stewardship happens because God speaks to you. 
And what you're doing now and what you're hearing now is the main way in which he has chosen to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.